0: Gordon morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville. I invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 will be our passage this morning. We are continuing in our series uh, called No Going Back, and we are into chapter 2. In fact, this morning we will finish chapter 2, Lord willing, and I can't believe within, within three weeks we're done with two chapters. So we're making really good progress. Uh, don't get used to that. Okay, we'll probably slow down. Uh, but I just... I tell you, I'm coming before you this morning feeling like God has given me a word for some of you. I'm convinced that some of you are here today. I believe all of you are here by divine purpose. And there is just, I believe, a message that God wants to encourage your heart with this morning. So you ready to get after it? It's going to be good, good news for us. Let's look at chapter 2. We're actually this morning going to look at verse 5 through the end of the chapter, but for our Scripture reading, uh, I'm just going to begin at verse 14. So if you are able to stand, would you please do so, just as a way of honoring the reading of God's Word. These words come to us with the very authority of God, and the author of Hebrews writes in verse 14, "...since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood..." He likewise Himself partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one whose power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What a great, great word. Let's pray. And I'm going to ask you, Lakeville, everybody, would you pray for me? sincerely, will you pray for me that I'll be faithful to God's word this morning? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this gift. It is a gift to be together, to to worship you. There's nothing in us that deserves this moment, and yet by your grace you give it to us. And so help us uh, understand your word. Come talk to us. There are lives that are struggling right now that need help. And I pray that you would point us to the Savior, the only one that can help us in our time of need. To that end and for his glory, I ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. Jamie Kennedy is a famous comedian and uh, actor in Hollywood. He became popular a few years ago when he created one of those y'all, y'all seen those uh, television kind of prank shows that have hidden cameras and things like that. He created one of those shows, and on it, he he would come out dressed as a character, and that character uh, went by the name of Brad Gluckman, A.K.A. B Brad. B-Rad was an up-and-coming hip-hop artist uh, who would wear his cap sideways and he would speak in street slang and he was promoting his new album, Malibute. Never thought I'd say that in church. Um, And he would talk about how difficult his life was growing up on the streets. Now, the joke of the whole kind of prank was that as he would describe how difficult his life was growing up, people would begin to realize, this guy is not from uh, Harlem or South Side Chicago, because he would describe his difficult life growing up in a place where the line at Starbucks would often go out into the street. It was awful. And there'd be some days where he grew up that he'd have to wait 15 minutes at Barnes & Noble before he could check out. And the worst is when he would come home after a life on the streets, after a day of difficulty and his personal maid hadn't changed his sheets. It was a hard, hard life. And the people on camera would just kinda start looking at him and just say, wait, 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 wait a minute, where did you say you're from? And he'd say, I told you I'm from the streets of Malibu. And they would just, they just had that look like, Malibu, Malibu, you have no idea what it's like to actually struggle. Now, what made this TV show popular, in fact, it even became a a movie, was that it mocked something that was happening in American culture. It mocked a youth culture that would listen to a kind of gangster-style rap all safely tucked away in middle-class suburbia. It mocked a music industry that would sometimes fabricate a difficult past, fabricate a hard life just to sell albums. But they never actually knew what it was like to struggle. And that's very different than, for instance, like a Jay-Z as he sings about a difficult life because he actually grew up in a very difficult life. Or a Johnny Cash singing Folsom Prison Blues, or a Miranda Lambert singing Tin Man, uh, where you get a sense of, of authenticity, you get a sense of these people actually know what it's like to Struggle. The truth is, every one of us here today is drawn to and comforted by people that have been through what you're going through, right? It's authentic. It's it's real. It resonates with us. For instance, if you have ever struggled with a newborn baby, who is more likely to help you? Somebody that had gone through that or somebody that had no clue what that was like? If you're trying to get out of debt, who is more likely to help you? Somebody that has gotten out of debt before or somebody that has no clue how to even balance a checkbook, assuming you still even use a checkbook, right? If somebody is hurting, who is more likely to help you? Somebody that has gone through difficulty before or somebody living, you know, a kind of Malibu-type life? It is why we often say in our suffering, no one can relate. Or as the late Tom Petty said, you don't know how it feels to be me. We are drawn to and comforted by people that have been through what we're going through. And that is exactly, it is exactly what the author of Hebrews does in this passage. Keep in mind that these Hebrew Christians are in the midst of real struggle, not a Malibu kind of struggle. They are facing real pain. They are persecuted in a variety of ways And because of this persecution, they are tempted to go back to Judaism where they won't suffer anymore, they won't be persecuted anymore. And the author is saying, no, 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 you must go forward in faith. And notice he starts here in this passage reminding them their creation status. Look look at what he does in verse 5. "'For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking,' It has been testified somewhere, what is man, that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Faith family, all you got to do is check your margin and you'll see that the, the author here is quoting Psalm 8 a very, very famous Psalm. Uh, It's a Psalm of David. And in this Psalm, uh, David is looking out over creation. He's looking at all that God has made, and he's just in awe of God's glory. In fact, some of you will know the repeated line, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He is absolutely astonished at all that God has made. But he doesn't stop there. He goes one step forward further and says, not only am I astonished at all that God has made in creation, get this, it's amazing that you would put humanity over all of this. Genesis 1, that you created Adam and Eve and you gave them dominion. You gave them authority over all the creation. That just baffles my mind how significant human beings are in the purpose of God. And why is that? It's because you bear God's image. Unlike anything else in creation, you have the image of God. Is that not absolutely astounding? Well, guess what? That's not just how the, the story starts in like Genesis 1 as reflected in Psalm 8, but that's how uh, the story ends. This is what God will restore us to. Look, for instance, in 2 Timothy 2 verse 11. This saying is trustworthy, that is, you can believe it. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also, talk to me, faith family, reign with Him. Revelation chapter 20 verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will what? Reign with Him for a thousand years. So you've got these uh, two bookends, if you will, of humanity. Human beings were created to have dominion and reign over creation, Genesis 1. That was lost because of sin, uh, but that's going to be restored. That is, one day in your future, Christian, you're going to reign with Christ. How awesome is that? Now, now, why in the world would, would the author bring this up? Why would he be reflecting on this uh, out of Psalm 8? Well, two things. Number one, jot these down if you're taking notes, is this. Don't ever let suffering steal your significance. Oh, I'm going to get to preaching. Somebody say, come on. Brother, sister, whatever you go through in life, whatever difficulty you have in life, it can't take away how important you are to God suffering doesn't do that. It can't do that. When you go through difficult times in life, it's tempting to think things like this. Well, you know, my life really doesn't matter that much. Or, you know, why am I really all that important? What difference do I really make? Does God really care about my life? And if you just go back and look at what God did when he created humanity, you're going to see, yes, you, you, Lakeville, you, you are important to God. You are you play a significant role in God's creation because you bear his image. And that means regardless of your waistline, your GPA score, your skin color, your marital status, your bank account level, you are of enormous value to God. Notice this on the screen. This is what I'm saying. You matter to God because you bear the image of God. You matter to God because you bear the image of God, and ain't no suffering in life can take that away from you, right? So don't let suffering steal your significance. And now, I'm not talking, by the way, about some kind of um, egocentric, uh, self-righteous, self-esteem kind of significance. I'm saying this, you're significant not because of what is within you, you're significant because what God has placed on you. And that is his image. Don't don't let suffering take that away. Secondly, is don't let suffering steal your security. Like, think about this. Don't just think about what God did in the beginning for humanity, but think about where he's taking humanity. You have a future security that suffering can't take away. Because it's easy, is it not, when you're hurting, and I mean really hurting, really suffering, to forget your future. It goes like this, notice on the screen. You get so consumed in the now that you forget what's coming next. You get so consumed in the now you forget what's coming next. And that's why the New Testament is always pointing you forward. Do you realize where you're going? Do you realize what's coming? Do you realize what's ahead? Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us Second Corinthians four sixteen. We don't lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Colossians three, verse two. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now think about this, faith family, verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Man, don't ever let your now take your mind off what's next. Your future is a glorious future. It's not just that God did this in the beginning for humanity, but he's taking us back to a glorious day. In fact, look at verse 5 in Hebrews 2. This is this just blows my mind. Look at what he says. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Do you realize human beings you will reign over angels. <laughs> just think about that for a little bit. You will reign. In fact, Paul even talks about in Corinthians that we will judge angels. Your future is glorious. You have got to, in suffering, keep thinking about what's next, not what's now. Some of my favorite gospel songs are Negro Spirituals. Some of my favorite gospel songs, because as many of you know, uh, the slaves, as they were laboring in the fields and, and being treated in very inhumane ways, one of the things that they would do to take their mind off of their current suffering is they would sing. And specifically what they would sing about was a coming day. A glory that would be coming, heaven that would be coming. They would sing songs like, I've got a crown, you've got a crown, all God's children got a crown. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my crown and go shouting all over God's heaven. I've got a song, you've got a song, all God's children got a song. And when I get to heaven, going to sing a new song, going to shout all over God's heaven. Or, oh freedom, oh freedom, oh freedom over me. And before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. No more weeping, no more weeping, no more weeping over me. And before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. Or one of my favorite songs of all time, which is this.
1: Swing low. Swing. Sweet coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet cherie, coming for to carry me home.
0: All right, faith family, I want to hear you clapping and I want to hear you singing. Here we go.
1: What did I see? Come for the carriage.
0: said? Amen. Amen. Told you I could lead the choir. All right. Now that's what they would sing about. In, in, In all of their present pain and the difficulty of the now, they would set their minds on swing low, sweet chariot coming forth to carry me home. Oh, brother, sister, no matter what suffering you go through in this life, don't ever let your suffering steal your significance or your future security. Don't ever let suffering take that away. Now, let's be honest. Even though that's true and that's wonderful and we celebrate that and we sing about that, that doesn't make our now uh, any less difficult. Amen? Amen? Now is still very hard. It's still very difficult. Look at what the author says next at the last verse of verse 8. last phrase, he says, at present, so right now, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. In other words, the author is saying, listen, I want you to reflect on all that God has done for humanity that is in the beginning and where you're going, but that doesn't change your now. At the present time, you don't see these things yet. At the present time, it's difficult. Uh, Notice this on the screen. Just because your future will be glorious doesn't mean that your present won't be painful. Anybody there today? Anybody been there before? Just because your future is glorious doesn't mean that your present won't be painful. That is certainly true of these Christians We know from the book of Hebrews itself that these Christians have faced public abuse. They've been thrown in prison. They've had their property stolen. We know from church history uh, that there have been even physical torturing that's taking place among believers. Tacitus, the Roman historian, writes, quote, besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others, that is Christians, were crucified. Others set on fire to illuminate the night. In fact, in the first three centuries, we know of at least ten major, ten major persecutions that were focused on Christians, physically tortured. Paul, for instance, was imprisoned and beheaded. James was beheaded. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Mark was burned alive. Matthew was run through with a spear. Philip was crucified in stone. James was beaten to death. Right here, Faith Family, Lakeville, right here. It kind of makes you want to say, what was all that dominion talk? Where is Psalm 8? I don't I don't see it. I don't see it when I, and I'm telling you, if you've got any ounce of honesty in you at all, Christian, you have asked that question. I know that you've promised me a glorious future, but when I look at my now, it's so hard to really grasp that. I mean, why can't your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, like now? I don't want to see another hurricane ravage anybody, another ultrasound that reveals no heartbeat, an employer that after years of faithfulness says you're no longer needed, cancer that goes into remission only to come back more aggressively, parents that you thought would always be together aren't, a Christianity that was well-received in the culture isn't anymore. And you stand there in the rubble of the now, and it's very hard to have a grasp on your glorious future. I love the already part of your kingdom, God. It's the not yet I'm having difficulty with. You've got to feel that tension if you want to understand this text. That's where they're at, reflecting on Psalm 8 of all that God has done in terms of your creation status. But I know that in your current situation, you don't see that now. So what do I do? What do I do in the now so that I don't go back? Everybody with me? Lakeville with me? What do I do in the now so that I don't go back? I'm glad you asked that question because it's answered in verse 9. But we see Him. That is, we don't yet see everything in subjection to humanity, but we do see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The author says, if if you want to get through the now, do you want to get through the now? Do you want to get through the now to the next? Even when the now is so hard, you can't see the next. Well, then here's what you have to do. You ready? When you can't see your future, set your eyes on the Savior. That's the only way you're getting through. Six people were excited about that, and I appreciate I'm very appreciative of you, All right. That's the only way you keep going rather than going backwards, is that you have to look to Jesus. And the reason that you have to look to Jesus is because when you look to him, you're going to see four things that are going to compel you to move forward in faith and not go back. Here's the first thing you're going to see. You're going to see that Jesus is the king who suffered Look at him. Look at verse 9 again. We see him, again that is Jesus, watch, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, that is Jesus, God, became a man, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now watch, this is what happens, Lakeville, everybody. The author takes Psalm 8 language, which... about humanity and applies it to Jesus. To make this point, this is so profound. This is what the author does. How did Jesus get to the throne of glory? Answer, suffering. The only way you're going to get to your next is by persevering your now And when your now is so hard you can't see the next, you're going to have to do what? Look to Jesus and see that he is the king that knows exactly how you feel. He's gone through this. He's walked this road before. And what happened when the road was done? Glory, 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 glory. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 5. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that is to be taken advantage of, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now watch, therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here was the road that Jesus went as our king. Divinity in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh. He took on humanity. Can you imagine what a culture shock that was? I mean, you think going to a, another country's culture shock. Imagine going from heaven to earth and taking on flesh. But he didn't stop there in his going low. He went all the way to slavery. He submitted to uh, the form of a servant, a, a slave. But he didn't just stop there. He went even lower to the point of mortality, even, the, the text says, to the point of death. That's quite the journey divinity to humanity. That's enough. But he went further to slavery. That's enough. But he went further to the point of death. And after that, royalty. Crowned in glory. Every tongue's going to confess. Every knee is going to bow. How low did Jesus go? He went very, very low. And that is all the encouragement you need when you feel like the now is bringing you down. He's already been lower than you have ever been. And think of it, that's why, by the way, the text says he's perfected. He's not perfected morally. He's already perfect morally. He's perfected in this. He became the perfect mediator between God and man. And think of it this way, faith family. Listen, listen. Had Jesus turned back on his road of suffering, there would be no future glory. Where would you be if Jesus in his pain and suffering said, I don't want to go forward. I think I'll just go back. That was his path Look at me, and I know some of you are hurt. I've had people coming up to me after this message literally with tears in their eyes saying, that was for me. And I'm speaking to your heart right now when I say, that was his path. It will be your path too. The only way you're getting through your now is by focusing on Jesus who's already been through it for you. Look to Him. And not only will you see a king that suffered, number two, you'll see a brother that is steadfast. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers. This is amazing. This is amazing. Do you realize that because Jesus became man, because God became man, that, that He's not ashamed to identify Himself with you? That's that's astounding. He's not ashamed to identify himself with you. Uh, he's not ashamed to call you brother to to call you sister. Even with all that you've done, all the sins that you've committed, all the mistakes you've made, all the shortcomings that have happened in your life, he's not ashamed to identify with you. I was thinking about this in the ancient Near East. Uh, genealogies were it. It was it was kind of like today your resume. Uh, you know, you kind of polish up your resume, you want it to look as good as it possibly can so that you'll kind of impress somebody. Well, that's the way genealogies were. And so if you had a, a really crazy uncle, you'd just kind of leave him off <laughs> because you didn't want to be identified with that person. This is very common in the ancient Near East. It was kind of your pre- pedigree and you only wanted to kind of show the people in your uh, lineage that were uh, people you weren't ashamed of. Do you want to know who is in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1? Prostitute? Unwed single mom? Adulterer? Murderer? You thought your family tree was bad. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Because he identifies with you. Not because he sinned, listen, but because he took on your sin. And because he took on your sin, he's not ashamed to call you brother. One, one more quick one that I probably don't have time for, but I'm going to do it anyways. After the resurrection, when Jesus calls for the disciples, do you remember what he says? He goes, you go tell those cowards to come here. That's not what he said. You go tell those betrayer back... That's not what he says. He says, go tell my brothers. So let me ask you this. You listening, Lakeville? You listening? If Jesus wasn't ashamed of you in his suffering, how in the world can you be ashamed of him in yours? There is no going back. You say, Pastor, how do I get through my now? It's hard to see the next. You get through the now by looking to Jesus. And when you look to Jesus, you'll see he is a king that suffered, and he is a brother that is steadfast. And thirdly, you will see that he is a champion that saves. He's a champion that saves. Verse 14, since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, that is, they're human, He himself likewise partook of the same things, again, he became a man, that through death he might destroy, there's the idea of champion, the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is the point of that passage, is that Jesus, God became a man to represent man, I mean, as in mankind. That is, you couldn't represent you. You couldn't represent you. Lakeville, you couldn't represent you. So guess what God did? God came to you to represent you. To be your representative in this battle of suffering, uh, in this enemy of death. Think of it this way. You already know this. Like in the ancient Near East, when two groups were fighting, they would often send out a representative to fight on behalf of the group. Uh, You know this from the story of David and Goliath. Send David out, send Goliath out, and let him fight. If you want a more modern example, the movie Troy. When Achilles and Hector come out and they fight representing representing their people. And so this is the idea here that Jesus becomes a man and is the representative for man and fights our enemy, the devil and death. And what happened? What happened is this. The enemy gave Jesus one hell of a punch. And Jesus, in turn, dealt an eternal T-K-O. For the enemy bruised his heel, but Jesus crushed his head. And we will sing, as the old hymn says, uh, one sweet day a song of victory. He's our champion. He's gone before you. He's defeated the ultimate enemy. If this path of suffering takes you to the point of death, well, guess what? Somebody's gone before you and defeated that enemy for you so that you get glory. How do I get through my now? Here's how you get through your now when you can't see your next you see him, the king who suffered the brother who's steadfast and not ashamed of you, the champion who saves you. And all of this comes to this fourth thing we see in Jesus, that this makes him the priest who sympathizes. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, To make propitiation, that is, sacrifice for the sins of the people. For because, what a word, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do, do Do you feel the weight of that verse now because of the context? He knows what you're going through. He's been there before. Honestly, He's been there in a much deeper way than you could ever imagine. The issue is not, can He relate to you? It's you can't relate to Him. You don't have a clue the amount of suffering that Jesus went through through. So who else would you turn to? Who else would you go to? He is a faithful and merciful high priest that can help you in your struggle. You say, yeah, but my situation's different. I mean, um, I can tell you that nobody can understand what I'm going through because I have recently lost a child. And I would tell you, brother and sister, God more than anybody knows exactly what that's like. You say, yeah, but I've been betrayed by a close friend. Yeah, Jesus knows what that's like. You say, I was innocent and they punished me anyway. Yeah, Jesus knows what that's like. But I'm feeling a constant pull of temptation. Trust me, Jesus knows what that's like. Yeah, but I got nothing. I'm hungry. I'm starving. Jesus knows what that's like. Yeah, but pastor, I just lost a loved one that I love dearly. I'm grieving. Well, Jesus knows what that's like. I've been hurt recently by one of my closest friends in life. Yeah, Jesus knows what that's like. Yeah, but pastor, every time I go to a wedding, I have to go alone. Uh, Yeah, Jesus knows what that's like. Yeah, but I've been called to pastor a bunch of num-nums that just won't listen. Well, Jesus knows what that's like. I've got to forgive people that don't deserve forgiveness. Trust me, Jesus knows what that's like. Yeah, but pastor, I feel like I've been abandoned by God. Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Faith family, there is nothing you are going through that Jesus hasn't gone through. And here's the kicker. He went through it for you. So when you can't see your future, set your eyes on the Savior. Because when you set your eyes on the Savior, you'll know this. There ain't no going back. There ain't no going back. Faith family, this morning, do you know your status? Do you know your identity? Have you let suffering steal your significance? Remember today who you are to God. You are loved. This morning, do you rest in the future security that you're next? If you know Jesus, you're next is a glorious next. The chapter you're in right now in your story may be tragedy, but the final chapter is victory. And no matter how difficult this chapter may be, it's not. The final word. Rest in that today. But more than all of that, trust in your Savior. Trust in your Savior. Look to Jesus above all else in your life, for in Him you will find the strength to move forward in faith. I close with this. There was a a missionary in Brazil that um, found a village of people that had not uh, been discovered before, and when he, he discovered them, he noticed that there was a contagious disease that was running through the village, and people were dying daily. They lived right next to this really big river, and there was a hospital on the other side, but they wouldn't go to the hospital because they were afraid of the river. They believed that the river was full of evil spirits and that if they got in the water and and began to swim across that they would die immediately, so they refused to go over. The missionary walked up To the river and tried to tell them how they could cross, but they wouldn't listen. He reached down and tried to splash the water and say, listen, it's okay, it's fine. They still wouldn't listen. He even walked in about waist deep and said, trust me, you can cross it. But they just turned away. And then he finally realized something. The only way they're going to cross this river is if I go before them. And he jumped into the water, swam underneath all the way to the other side, came out the other side and looked back at all the people rejoicing and screaming and shouting and one by one crossing the river. Dear brother, dear sister, if you're here today, and the difficulties of your life have you at a point where you're thinking, I'll just go back. There is one who has gone before you. There is one that has already passed through. Run to him. Look to him. He knows what it's like to be you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word to us this morning. I, I pray that it is an encouragement. Because I am I'm certain with the amount of people that will come here this weekend that there are people that feel stuck in a now. And they cannot see their next. They don't know how they're going to get through it. They are torn apart And I pray that this message has brought hope to them. Yet when you can't see that, see Him. See Him. And look at all that He has gone through that we would be assured of hope. God, I just pray for every person in this place today that, it, that today they would look to Christ, that they would be encouraged and strengthened by his grace. And if there is somebody here that does not know Jesus, how could they not today want to turn and follow him and surrender their life to him? I pray that that, that would happen right now. God, speak to us, lead us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?